Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week a report came out looking at the views and satisfaction ratings of families in Florida's tax credit scholarship program, which is what some of you might commonly call vouchers, but it's not exactly vouchers. The kids in low-income families can use the money that goes through the scholarship finance organization to attend private schools, often religious schools. And this report that was done by Ed Choice looked at whether they're satisfied or not, why they take the program and use it, and what they would do if it didn't exist. We have co-author Jason Bedrick with us today to discuss the findings. So Jason, thank you so much for joining me at the Gradebook Podcast. So thank you for having me. You have taken a big issue that people in Florida care an awful lot about, the whole tax credit scholarship program, which a lot of people call vouchers. And you have you studied it in terms of what the recipients think? Why did you decide to look at that issue? Well, I mean, obviously, this is a very important issue. And there's lots of voices in these discussions, policymakers, uh, you know, education scholars and, and whatnot. Uh, but one of the voices that has... Uh, I wouldn't say missing, but but certainly we haven't heard enough of is the the voices of the families that are actually participating in the program. So that's why Lindsay Burke and I decided to conduct the study. And why Florida's program as opposed to any of the others you could have looked at? Well, Florida's is the largest school choice program in the country. There are more than 107,000 students that are participating in the program. And so it just it dwarfs any other in the country. Uh, also, because there's only really one scholarship organization that's providing more than 99% of the scholarships, uh, it was a lot easier working with them than, say, let's say Pennsylvania, where you've got more than 60,000 students, but 250 scholarship organizations. Uh, so that combination made it a lot easier to actually conduct the study and just gave us a wealth of information because of how many parents are participating in the program. If you were going to say that you had one big takeaway, something that really stood out to you, what would you say it would be? Just how satisfied the families are with, uh, with the program and with the schools that they're uh, able to choose. Uh, so for a bit of context, you've got uh, these are very disadvantaged families. Uh, the average family income is only about $25,000. Uh, 80% of them are non-white. And uh, 92% said that they were satisfied with the program. 89% said that they were uh, satisfied with the school that they were able to choose using scholarships. Uh, so this is a program that's really benefiting families that are, are quite disadvantaged. Were you surprised to learn that they were satisfied or did you expect them to perhaps say that you know the choices are no good or we can't get the schools we want or something like that no we we, we did expect that they would be satisfied given uh previous research on these questions uh so going back um you know almost two decades there have been smaller surveys of students participating uh in a variety of different states uh and generally parents are very satisfied with uh 
the education that they're able to use. But Florida in particular, it's got a very low income population. Uh, and so clearly this is a program that's working for, for a very disadvantaged population. I noticed one of the findings that you had in there was that without this program, perhaps one in five would only be able to afford any sort of opportunity other than their neighborhood school. Is that pretty much par for the course that this is really opening up avenues for people? Yeah, so that's a question. I don't have a lot of data in other states to compare it against. So that was something that, that we were interested in, in knowing. I mean, even in some of the, let's say, um, state reports trying to calculate what the fiscal effect is, you have to rely on assumptions guessing how many parents would actually uh, still be in this private school or would be going to a different school. Uh, and so we had 72% say that uh, they would have enrolled their child in some type of a public school if the program didn't exist. Uh, so that would be a, a district schools, but also charters and, and magnets. Uh, so yes, this is, this is a program that is expanding opportunity to these families because they say they, they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go to the school that they chose using the scholarship. We've had a lot of critics of this program who would suggest that these people are just using tax dollars. What should be tax dollars is what they would say because the money doesn't go actually into the system. And and taking it to go to a private religious school because they want religious education and we shouldn't be diverting money away from public traditional district schools. Is, is there any validity in your mind to that type of argument? I mean, there's the constitutional question, which I think is, has already been settled by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, that it, this does not implicate the First Amendment's uh, Establishment Clause because the funds are going to families. Those are the ultimate beneficiaries. And uh, in fact, uh, there are some who argue that the Free Exercise Clause requires it. I mean, look at other programs that you have. Uh, uh, if somebody is using their Medicaid or Mer Medicare dollars and they want to go to a Catholic hospital that has a crucifix in every room and priests and the staff, uh, we say that's, you know, that's the choice of the families. The important thing is that the state is providing uh, health care. Uh, likewise, with food stamps, if somebody wants to use those food stamps for a religious feast, it's not the role of the government. The government is just making sure that they have access to food. Uh, here, the, the purpose is providing access to education. When it comes to the Pell Grant program, we don't make a distinction between somebody going to Florida State University or Notre Dame. Uh, so likewise here, it's, uh, it's up to the families. But really, this is, I think, a, a broader definition of public education. Um, the, the problem is that we've confused public education with a particular delivery system, uh, which is the district schooling system. Uh, I think we should take a much broader approach where the purpose of public education is to make sure that every child has access to a school that is the right fit for him or her. Uh, for many students, that's going to be the local district school. For others, it's gonna be a charter or a magnet school. And for some, it's gonna be a private school. And parents are really in the best position to determine which of those options is right for their child. I noticed in the survey that a lot of the parents said that they were happy with the schools, but not a lot of them, maybe it was one third, said that they were interested in it for the academics. They were for other reasons. And and I just wonder if, you know, the parents are making choices based on on the things that we would consider to be educationally important. And, and also related to that, whether the accountability of all the schools 
is the same when you have so much testing in one side and not so much testing in the other? I mean, on the testing question, I think what parents, what we find, not just in the survey and others, but is that parents are getting a bit fed up with the, uh, the over-testing. Uh, testing really should be a tool that, that is used to inform parents when they're making choices uh, and, a, and a tool for schools to know how well their students are performing. And it can be problematic when we rely too much and we try to have these tests do more than they're really designed to do, including, you know, rewarding and punishing schools and teachers. Uh, so I think that there's there has been quite a bit of pushback from parents in that regard. Uh, all of the students do have to uh, take a nationally norm reference test. So the parents are informed how their child is doing relative uh, to similarly aged students uh, nationwide. And that, I think, is, is very important. But yes, the, the majority, um, when we asked, when we asked uh, the families what they are, are looking for uh, when, when it comes to a school, we asked them what their top three were. Uh, they were looking for things like religious instruction or morals and character instruction. Uh, they were not looking for test scores. Only 4% put test scores uh, in their top three. But they were also looking for things like uh, students' uh, uh, small class sizes, uh, the safety of the school, um, academic uh, reputation. So they're taking a much more holistic approach, I think, to their child's education than, than just one single measure. I guess a lot of people in the district schools would say that they don't care about test scores either, but they have lots of test scores that they have to provide. So just No, I think that's right. And I, I think that um, what we really need to be doing is the test scores, a lot of this top-down accountability that was imposed was based on the premise that uh, the district schools are a monopoly. And anytime you have a monopoly, just like, let's say, um, you know, the, the public utilities company that, that are not directly accountable to their customers, then you need to have the state come in and, and impose all these top-down regulations. But as we're moving to a much more uh, choice-friendly environment where parents do have lots of other options, I think it makes sense to scale back on a lot of these top-down regulations in the public school system out of a recognition that the schools are more accountable to the families when the families have multiple choices. One of the roadblocks that you mentioned in the report was transportation. I know a lot of families can't afford to get to some of the schools that are on the lists that take the scholarships, for instance. Is there anything that a state could do or even a district could do to help alleviate that concern? Yes, I think it would be First of all, one thing they could do, and one thing they're already doing, is that they allow um, a portion of the scholarships to be used for transportation, which I think is very important. Uh, one thing that states could do as well would be to directly provide funding uh, to all students for transportation within certain limits, but uh, no matter which type of school they're going to. So uh, whether that's through the school bus system or even through the public transportation system, uh, to to allow students to use those those modes of transportation, not only to go to their traditional district schools, but also to go to charter schools uh, or to go to private schools, uh, just to make sure that that every family uh, that's that's looking for an alternative, that's looking for the right fit for their child, 
uh, doesn't have that blocked just by lack of access to transportation. When when you look at this study altogether, is there something that you think that Florida needs to do most in order to meet the needs of not only the families that are in the system, but even the ones that left the system and the ones that never contemplated being in it? I think one thing they could do more would be to inform families of their options. Uh, the vast majority of the families that were participating in the program found out about it uh, from friends and family or from a private school uh, or from you know people that they already knew who were scholarship families. They weren't finding out about it uh, from the government or from uh, you know their local district schools. Uh, so I think it is, it's, it's vitally important that parents are made aware of all of the different options that they have available to them. Do you see other states moving in this direction of adopting these tax credit scholarships, or, or is Florida just going to always be the biggest and the most watched? Well, Florida is the biggest, but there are now, uh, and Florida was the third state to adopt a program uh, after Arizona and Pennsylvania. Florida's program was enacted in 2001. Uh, there are now 18 states that, that have uh, programs like this. Uh, last year, uh, Illinois uh, just adopted a program. They've got, uh, you know, what could be probably at some point the third largest since there's uh, about 100,000, sorry, 100 uh, million dollars worth of uh, scholarship funds. So I do think that this is something that we are going to see more states adopt and see more growth And Florida won't be alone, but Florida is likely to be the largest uh, for the foreseeable future. Why do you think then that so many people in Florida want to kill this program or at least stop it from growing? Anytime that you have a disruption to the status quo, there are going to be those who are invested in the status quo that feel threatened by it. I mean, just look at um, people that, that are uh, in the taxi industry and how they feel threatened by Uber. I'm sure, uh, you know, if you go back to uh, the invention of the car, there were those in the horse and buggy industry who felt threatened by this. Uh, but I, I think in the, in the long run, they really shouldn't uh, feel threatened. Uh, first of all, the, the public schools in Florida have been improving in recent years. Uh, there was even a study by David Figlio of Northwestern University that found that in response to the competition, the increased choice and in composition resulting from the introduction of choice programs in Florida, uh, public schools improved their performance. Uh, so I don't think that really people have anything to fear. Uh, and I think that over time, and I know it's been two decades already, but over time, people will become more comfortable with these programs. Uh, Florida has a very large program. We haven't seen that the public school system has shut down. We haven't seen a mass exodus. Uh, but I think the, the most important thing is not the system itself. It's the students. The system is designed for the students, not the other way around. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about the survey that you did and the and the background and all the other information. Is there any other final message you have for whoever's listening? I think that uh, it's important that everybody goes out there and just finds out what uh, parents in particular, what options are available to them. Uh, we have been working actually with uh, Step Up for Students in Florida uh, my organization is uh, EdChoice uh, to help design a, a new system for their education savings account uh, program uh, that would allow parents to access an online portal and 
provide feedback on all of the different options that they are using. Uh, so it's, it's vitally important if parents are going to have access to a wide variety of choices, that they have the information to make wise choices. Uh, so in the coming years, uh, Florida is Florida has been a pioneer, and I think will continue to be a pioneer in uh, expanding a, a system of choice that provides high-quality choices. Well, Jason, thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's the end of our conversation and the end of today's podcast. If you'd like to participate, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To catch up on the latest breaking news on Florida education, go to our blog, www.tampabay.com slash blog slash gradebook. And please continue to share and review this podcast so that others can find it and listen in. If you have good ideas for things that you'd like to hear us talk about or good subjects to talk to, please let me know. Send me an email. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 